630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Yet another tight one between the Maple Leafs and the Capitals. It's 1-1 after 2. Oshie and Matthews, the goal scorers. Third of the playoffs for both men. Five and a half minutes left in the second period in Ottawa. The Senators are up 2-1 on the Bruins. They're up 3-1 in the series. Stone and Peugeot scoring for Ottawa. Pasternak has the reply for Boston. We'll keep an eye on those tonight. That is it for the NHL games this evening. Tomorrow, of course, we have the Oilers and the Sharks for you on Ched. The Canadians will play the Rangers. New York at home trying to win that series. The Blues take a 3-1 series lead into Minnesota. They'll try to finish off the Wild. Western Hockey League playoffs... Tonight, uh, Lethbridge and Regina just about to get underway in Regina. Kelowna and Seattle play as well as the conference finals get going in the dub. The Blue Jays play later on tonight. They're visiting Anaheim. Oh, Norris Trophy nominees in the NHL. Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Victor Hedman. Those were announced today. It's obviously... uh, They've been announcing, what else have they announced? Uh, they announced the Calder and they announced the Selkie finalists as well. I would expect to see Connor McDavid up for the Hart Trophy when uh, that's announced in a few days. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for joining us. Inside Sports on 630 Chat It's 7.07. You can text 630-630, the phone number 780-496-0063. You can follow me on Twitter, by the way, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D, W-I-L-K-I-N-S. One of our regular features here on Inside Sports, a weekly chat with former NHL goaltender, now NHL analyst, Kelly Rudy. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, Reed. Still, I'm back at the studio here tonight and ready for a couple of great hockey games. Yeah, it's going to be another fun night. Uh, a good game uh, last night between the Oilers and the Sharks. Uh, it ended just before midnight here in Edmonton, so uh, you're up till uh, 2 a.m. and later uh, <laughs> watching that game uh, yes. in, in Toronto. But uh, nothing like playoff overtime. And how, how did you think, Kelly, about how the game got there? Because uh, it, to me, it looked like a Sharks team trying to almost run the clock down in the third period. I didn't like the way the Sharks played in the third period. I thought that uh, they uh, they weren't aggressive enough on the offense, uh, barely ever getting into the Edmonton zone. And it's funny, Nick and I were watching, and I think about six minutes left in regulation. He goes, how many good chances do you think the Oilers are going to get? Are they going to get two more good looks? And I said, no, you know what? I, I wouldn't be surprised if they get three or four, maybe even five. And uh, they just kept buzzing. A real strong play by DeHarnay. And when he comes around and uh, feeds the puck back to the point and Clefbaum just unleashes a wicked slap shot. I mean, you need unheralded guys. And DeHarnay, to me, fits that bill. Kelly, I mean, overtime can be so unpredictable. Guys can uh, make a name for themselves by getting a big goal or a goaltender by making a big save. I I know you've told some overtime stories on this show before. You played in the Easter Epic that went into the fourth overtime when you were at the Islanders. Uh, You were on the other end of it when you were with the Kings against the Canadians in the 93 final, and we've talked about those. Any any other overtime uh, stand out for you, good or bad, from your career? Yeah, for sure. Uh, my very first playoff game, I was with the Islanders, of course, playing Washington. 
And uh, I believe it was double overtime. And I lost on uh, a wraparound by Mike Gartner, of which in today's game it definitely would have been called interference. But back then there was a lot more uh, crease crashing and goaltenders were less protected than in today's game. But I fast forwarded to, again, the year that we went to the finals with LA, 93. So we were tied 2-2 um, in games. We're in Vancouver for game five. Uh, this is a all-important game, right? And and both teams were really high-powered offenses. So Vancouver is terrific. They had Burray and and uh, Cortnell and Greg Adams and Trevor Lynn and all these really great offensive-minded guys. And we, of course, had our uh, ridiculously talented team. So it's just back-and-forth hockey. So finally, the score is 3-3. Uh, it goes to double overtime. At some point in the game, I can't recall when, but Gary Shuchuk absorbed this massive hit. Gary was the right winger for our team. And in today's world, not only with the concussion spotters, but with just uh, medical protocol and so on, there's not a chance he would have finished the game. Ultimately, in the second period, second overtime, he gets a pass, I believe, from Luke Robitaille or Yari Kura. I can't remember. I know those other two guys were on the ice, but he buries a puck pass. Kirk McLean, we go on to win that game and then win the series, and that uh, allows us to go play the Maple Leafs. But, I mean, Gary Shuchuk, to this day, says he doesn't remember scoring. That's how concussed he was and turned out to be his biggest goal of his career. Terrific guy. He was from Edmonton, or is from Edmonton. Now he's uh, coaching U.S. Uh, college hockey. Um, and so, unlikely heroes, you guys, you know, you always remember the stories about guys like John Drews and others that had all these incredible playoff goals and moments. And some guys uh, like Pat LaFontaine are meant to score goals like that, or Mark Messier or Wayne or somebody, but there are unlikely, unlikely heroes like you mentioned. Yeah, well, DeHarnay fit in the... That's a great story about Shuchuk, man. That's, and that is, I mean, I, you know, I work with Rob Brown every day, and he talks yeah. about memories, and uh, he doesn't yeah. remember a lot from before he was 18 because of some of the concussions, too, so that's pretty scary. Wow, wow, yeah. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports, former NHL goaltender, now an uh, analyst with the NHL on Rogers and on Hockey Night in Canada. The... Um, you know, the, the Oilers here have been able to to stick around in games, which has been a big strength of theirs uh, all season long. And we've seen some other series where the teams we thought that were going to be able to stick around haven't. And, and then, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then you know, some other teams that we thought might be out quickly are, are hanging around and challenging, like the Toronto Maple Leafs. What, what else has stood out for you in, in the first round here, Kelly? Well, to a certain degree, and maybe because I really focus on the goaltenders, but uh, the play of Henrik Lundqvist. So he had what you would call a pretty ordinary regular season by his standards anyways, and uh, I think most people would agree that uh, Ranta was the better goaltender for the Rangers this year. But coming into the playoffs, I think that uh, Lundqvist uh, facing the challenge of going against Price really wanted to make a statement that he still has a lot of good games left. And so to me, he's been as good as anybody in these playoffs. I mean, he has uh, stolen the show for the most part. He's been the best player in the series by far. There have been some other good players, but his play and maybe Eric Carlson. I've always been a big fan. I didn't think he deserved to be in the category of like a Norris Trophy kind of guy, even though he's a past winner, but I always thought he's lurking around the top five or so, top seven. But these playoffs, he's been the the MVP by far, not even close. And I know more guys have uh, more points, but his overall game, I, his 
his season this year, and you know all about it, he decided to focus more on some defensive play. Guy Boucher really tried to drive that home for him. And and because of his just unlimited offensive abilities, now that you combine that with real strong defensive play, including blocking shots and not only blocking shots, but turning those block shots into offensive opportunities, the way in which he positions himself and so on. So Carlson, to me, is the most exciting player right now. And I'm, I'm just fascinated by what he can do. I don't know if you saw that saucer pass oh, he yeah. made to Mike Hoffman. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw that cool uh, um, telestration that we did, but the puck was 10 feet in the air, and it went 116 feet down the ice, and it was a perfect tape-to-tape pass. I mean, just totally ridiculous. In fact, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I've played uh, with and against some awfully great players. Yeah, that was—I mean—that that was amazing just to attempt that, let, let alone right? execute it with the perfection that he did for sure. Hey, well, even just the sorry, Reed, but just to add on to that, well, where do you practice that? Like, you don't ever—I've right. never seen a guy go, "Hey, hey, you go stand at the other blue line, pretend you're coming maybe from the bench or something, and." Time it right up the middle, and I'll lay out this super <laughs> saucer pass. Right? right, you'd never attempt it. That's just ad libbing at its finest. Yeah, that was incredible, Kelly. It, it was kind of interesting when the Oilers were skating in San Jose. I, I know you saw the stories. Uh, no nets, no lights for the Oilers to yep. get on the ice. And was it on purpose? Was it just them? following the rules of the rink because they couldn't turn the lights on until the officials started practice. I had Kevin Lowe on our pregame show last night telling some of the stories from uh, his career about cutting uh, microphone cords for anthem singers and hiding the Stanley Cup from Mike Keenan in 1997. Uh, there's a lot of little games on the ice. I imagine there's a lot of little games off the ice that, that you would have you experienced too. Oh, totally. And not only just in the playoffs, but uh, certainly in regular season. Um, but having said that, I mean, this this situation to me wasn't uh, all that bad at all. In fact, it didn't even cross the line to me. I, because, I, first of all, I didn't put much uh, importance on it, so I didn't follow up with anybody with phone calls or anything because my history tells me that that's happened fairly often. I wouldn't say it's a regular occurrence, but it certainly happens both in regular season and in playoff games. And, and I'll even take it a step further why it didn't annoy me because sometimes it happens to the home team. And I, you know, honestly, when I played for the New York Islanders, we played out of the Nassau Veterans Coliseum. And I don't know what issue they had with the union that was running the arena or all these different protocols going on, but let's just say our practice was at 1030. Most often, like, if you came out at 10.15, they wouldn't turn the lights on. So you played, like, or you just skate around with dim lighting and then closer to the 10.30 start time, then they'd turn on the light. So it's not just the visiting rinks and gamemanship and all that. There's other issues that you have to take into account. I know L.A. as an example. I go there often with the uh, Calgary Flames and the Staples Center. They're so busy, and they have a whole bunch of things going on. Once in a while, the visiting team can get on the ice early. Other times they can't because uh, oftentimes the LA Kings practice out in El Segundo in their practice ring. So all sorts of different scenarios. To me, that wasn't much of a story. Okay. Well, I'm glad you told the story you just did, though, because a lot of people have said you always look like you were playing in the dark. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what? That's okay, and that's a fair comment. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I couldn't right. Resist. All right, Kelly. Uh, what are the Oilers? Before we let you go here, what do the Oilers have to do to close it out tomorrow? Fourth one's often the hardest to win. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, first of all, I, I don't think that they can sort of start the game by saying, "Well, San Jose is one of the most impressive teams on home ice, especially in the first ten minutes." I say, don't go down that road. Don't make it that difficult. How about you go challenge yourself and have and ha- and be the best team for the first ten minutes. Take it to the Sharks and send a message that way, and then the game will settle out a little bit, and then you'll they'll be. Uh, uh, challenge in many different ways because that's still a great team. But I, I really think just go after them. Kelly, it's going to be fun, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Enjoy the rest of the first round. Okay, thanks, Reed. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Kelly. Good stuff there. Kelly Rudy joins us once a week. I, I, I couldn't resist giving him a little, give him a little shot there about playing in the dark. <laughs> Always enjoy having Kelly on the show. Washington on a power play here. In a 1-1 tie with Toronto, 16 minutes left in the third period. We'll keep an eye on that one for you. That I thought this was going to be the Caps in a fairly stress-free five games. Well, it's game five tonight, and Toronto has just as good a shot as the Capitals. Toronto's killed off that power play. We'll keep an eye on that one for you. You're going to hear from Stu Grimson as we move along as well. He's the television analyst for the Nashville Predators, who stunned Chicago in four straight. Chicago didn't even score a goal a game in the series, so Stu will tell us how that happened. We'll also touch on a very interesting connection between two Oilers comebacks in the playoffs. That's as we move along inside sports on Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. April 20th has now become a significant day in Oilers history for two reasons. Last night's comeback from 3-1 down, and you may remember the first round series 1997 against the Dallas Stars. Game three, the Oilers were down 3-0 late in the third period and also won that game in overtime. Hmm, wouldn't it be great if we could somehow listen to highlights for both games? I wonder if somehow we might have. Controlled by Doug Wade, a backhander, he scores! Doug Wade breaks the goose egg with four minutes to go in the third Maroon and Dreisaitl, here's the shot, score! Maroon able to bang home a rebound, and it's one nothing in the team. Pass to Marshawn, now to Kovalenko, right in on goal, shoots, scores! Oh my! 2.16 to go! And the Oilers are still breathing. On his backhand centers. One-timer score. Beautiful backdoor play. And Mark Letestu. A San Jose's lead at 3 to Marshawn wins the draw. Richardson to McGill. She just scores. The Edmonton Oilers have tied the game. A stunning come from behind tie. With 2-0-4 to go. There's Bedlam at the Inside, give it up. One timer score. This game is tied, and I don't believe it.
five. You're going to get it. In the Dallas territory, drops it back for Bookberger. He hits it and shoots. Scores! Kelly Bookberger wins it in overtime for the Oilers. Four to three. A stunning comeback by the Edmonton Oilers. They lead the series two games to one. They are absolutely going bonkers in Edmonton. back for David D'Arnais. He'll swing it to the corner for Drysaddle. Back in front to Aaron Ace. Pretty cool. April 20th, 1997. April 20th, 2017. Big comebacks on home ice and overtime wins for your Edmonton Oilers. Thanks to Morley Scott and Dean Vince in our production department for putting that pack together. Great to hear Rod Phillips and Jack Michaels going back and forth. More memories tomorrow? Possibly Game 6, Oilers and Sharks on Jet. 6 o'clock face-off show. Game will start at 8.30. Still 1-1, Toronto and Washington. 11 minutes left in the third. Leafs are on a power play. We'll keep an eye on that one. Stu Grimson will break down how Nashville stunned Chicago in round one. The Oilers have traveled to San Jose. Mark Letestu comments coming up as well. Inside Sports on Chet. Thanks for listening tonight. Coming right back. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Mark Letestu and the Oilers in San Jose. They will play the Sharks tomorrow. Letestu talking about the team able to keep battling. Yeah, and, and that's something, like you said, for, for two years now, he's been hammering on us to not fold our hand. Uh, you know, last year at times it was pretty difficult. There were some tough times, tough stretches, bad losses. Would have been easy for guys to go away uh, and just pack it in. But I think, you know, sticking with it all last year and now this year, uh, learning to win and, and still stick with it, uh, it showed up again last night. Uh, 7 nothing. that's... You know, we, we said we, we flushed it, uh, but it's one thing to say it, but it's nice to see that we did it. We showed up with, with the bounce back that we expect. And I think everybody realized we were playing a pretty good hockey game at the time. Uh, the score just didn't indicate kind of the results we were looking for. Uh, but we felt like if we stuck with that kind of intensity, those details, the way we were skating, uh, it was going to eventually go in our favor. We were, might have to use all 60 minutes. Uh, but... The, the bench, for the most part, stuck stuck with it. Uh, the fans stayed in the game, helped us out. Uh, it, was, it was a really calm influence on the bench. Mark Letestu had a power play goal last night for the Edmonton Oilers, the 4-3 overtime win over the San Jose Sharks. It's 7.35. Thanks for joining us tonight. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. Keeping an eye on this Toronto-Washington game. Eight minutes left in the third period. Tied at one. They've already gone to overtime thrice in this series. Game four, the only one that did not go to OT. Washington jumped out to a big 4-1 lead in that one. 
Toronto battled back to make it interesting, but the Capitals did win by a goal. So Washington uh, getting everything they can handle from the Leafs. I didn't see this one coming. Later on this half hour, we'll talk on another result that I didn't see coming, especially not in four straight. That was Nashville beating Chicago. A little more from Mark Letestu here. Looking forward to hopefully a good response with a chance to clinch the series tomorrow night. Oh, we're we're going we're gonna to find out. It's our first you know, chance as a group to, to experience this. So uh, we'd love to do it in this first game. Uh, we're we're going to have to play our best game of the series. There's no doubt. Again, this team's belief system is really strong. Uh, they're in the Stanley Cup Finals last year. They they probably believe they're going to come back. So we're, we're going to have to do everything, uh, You know, whether it's special teams, face-offs. The things that were strong last night, they're going to have to show up again for us to be successful. You know, Latesto uses that phrase a lot. He used it after the, the 7 nothing loss, and he's using it again today, talking a lot about a team's belief system. And that, and that's and that's pretty interesting. And he referenced last year, which was his first year as an Oiler. They wind up 29th, had a bad year. You know, some Talbot started the year poorly. You had McDavid get hurt. You had Clefbaum get hurt, and they wind up in a familiar spot in the standings. And if you think, you know, what's that? What's that old phrasing? What's that old phrase? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> and you know, right now the Oilers think they can. It doesn't it doesn't always mean they're going to, and it doesn't mean you know the other team. I mean, clearly San, San Jose thinks they can as well, and that's when you get good games and good series when you have both teams with a strong belief system going at it. I mean, that I, I think a perfect example was the what was it 2013, the Stanley Cup Final between Boston and Chicago, maybe the best final series I've ever seen with it going back and forth, overtime games, games decided late. Chicago had that late rally in game six. Remember, they tied it late and then won it before even needing overtime to clinch the Stanley Cup. And, I mean, that's hopefully the type of series that the Oilers wind up playing. It's never going to be easy in the playoffs. You're going to have them battling teams with a lot of strengths and a strong belief as well. But the Oilers have that belief now too that they can be in games and that it's not going to spiral out of control and they're not rolling their eyes and and pouting or expecting bad things to happen when you allow a goal or two so yeah it's interesting how Latestu keeps referring to that and they refer to things McClellan said way back what would it be 19 months ago at his very first training camp in September of 2015 don't fold your hand and that's I mean we've talked a lot about this city with the Oilers being in a rebuild and it reached the point to me where that word wasn't even relevant anymore because if you're rebuilding, eventually you make some progress. And the Oilers really hadn't made any progress since uh, finishing last the first time. I mean, they went through a seven-year span where 24th was their peak in the overall standings. That ain't being rebuilt. That's still looking at a big hole in the ground. So... McClellan brought some stability. I mean, I think it helped. You get in, you get Bob Nicholson, you get Peter Shirelli and Todd McClellan on long-term contracts, and the players know, all right, these guys have experience, and they aren't going anywhere. Maybe I'm going somewhere. I'm not going to get to play if I don't buy into it. So McClellan had to put some building blocks in, face, in place. He's talked a lot about building a foundation. I don't think by any means the Oilers are a team at their peak, but we're starting to see some of those lessons come into play, and hopefully it all adds up in a first-round uh, series win here over the San Jose Sharks. Hey, it's tight. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Game 7 on Monday night. I mean, it's, 
No, I also wouldn't be surprised if the Oilers put it away tomorrow. I'm at the. I, I'm never surprised. I'm rarely surprised, Kellen Kennedy. <laughs> but, but no, seriously. I, I, I mean, we're going to know in the first five or ten minutes. I think the tone of tomorrow's game. Certainly, the San Jose is going to feed off their crowd the way the Oilers were able to feed off the Rodgers Place crowd in games one, three, and five. So back and forth we go. One one. Now 4.28 left in the third period. The Maple Leafs and the Capitals. And Boston has come back to tie Ottawa. It's 2-2 early now in the third period. Boston got a goal late in the uh, second period. The Bruins need to win to stay alive. The Senators are up 3-1 in the series. Western Hockey League Conference Finals. Game 1 for Regina and Lethbridge. Regina up 1-0 late in the first. Kelowna and Seattle will face off in a few minutes. One of the big surprises of the first round. The Nashville Predators able to sweep away the Chicago Blackhawks. Former NHLer Stu Grimson, now a TV analyst for the Predators on Fox Sports Nashville. Stu, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Hey, I'm fantastic. Always doing, uh, always doing well after you run the table on the uh, first place team in your conference. That that always makes for a uh, a great morning after. Yeah, man, who saw that coming? I mean, maybe you did. I, I thought the Predators have been a, a dangerous, pretty strong-looking team. They certainly gave the Oilers a lot of trouble when they played them this season. I, I thought that that Nashville-Chicago series was going to be a long one, but I didn't pick the Predators to win. How were they able to pull it off? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I really get uh, – I gave these guys – uh, every chance in the world, the Predators, uh, you know, they've matched up pretty well against the Hawks. They pushed them to the brink, uh, you know, in the postseason and in the regular season, but usually come out on the short, short side. And I really thought, you know, at the end of the day, that experience has to count for something. And this other thing, and I, I think this really did bear out in this series, there are many, many explanations as to why the Preds uh, kind of came out on top in this one. But they really came into this uh, playoff series. They had better depth of scoring, especially at the forward department. They had better depth of scoring than the Chicago Blackhawks did. And they got important contributions from the top six and from the bottom six forwards. And I, I think you really saw, in addition to the defense core, playing uh, just a whale of a series and really kind of bottling up, you know, the, 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 the truly dangerous weapons on the Chicago side, you know, uh, sprinkle in a little magnificent Pecorine, and, you know, those those were really the, the feature elements. Well, tell me a little bit more about Rene, because, you know, I, I think from the outsides, too, maybe there was the perception that he was still a good goaltender, but not at the level he once was, and maybe the last couple playoff years had been tough for him. Tell me about you know the the accuracy of that perception first of all, and and how he was in this sweep. You know, I, I don't know that the, uh, the the perception is altogether misplaced, uh, simply because you know Pekka has had his ups and downs, and has never been you know part of a team that's kind of carried it beyond the second round. So you know, it's uh, you know for those reasons, I think. The uh, the evaluation of Pekka has been somewhere short of you know uh, elite level status in the NHL. Always good, always a true number one, but perhaps something short of elite level status. He has played elite level hockey in uh, in certainly the last three games 
uh, certain stretches of the 16-17 season, but certainly through the first four games of the postseason, Peck was awfully stingy inside the pipes. He kind of closed out the regular season, Read uh, three really strong games. Saw Winnipeg, saw the Islanders, saw Minnesota, hung a bagel on the Minnesota Wild uh, just towards the end of the regular season. And I thought he really looked locked in. And, and just really briefly, I think one of the really important uh, components or aspects to all that, Pekka now entering his mid-30s, he's 34 years of age. The Predators and Pekka have realized that a little deliberate, well-placed rest and rather than Pekka kind of running out there for, you know, say 66 to 70 starts a year, Pekka operating in the low 60s, getting some support, some relief from a, uh, a very capable number two in UC Saros, I think everybody's realizing, again, including Pekka, that a little uh, well-timed rest is the best remedy for Pekka. So, you know, having played the four games of this round, uh, it, it really works out in the Preds' favor as you think through it. He's played four consecutive starts, and now he's going to get a little—he's uh, going to get a little time off uh, before the round kicks off. Stu Grimson joining us from Fox Sports Tennessee. He's an analyst for the Nashville Predators. Of course, Stu, I know you're keeping an eye on all the other playoff action as well. We had a overtime comeback win for the Edmonton Oilers last night that uh, is going to put David DeHarnay in the uh, in the good books with Oilers fans for a few decades, I'm sure. Uh, you, you played uh, 42 NHL playoff games, a whole bunch more in the minors. You had a long playoff run with the Regina Pats when you were in the uh, WHL. From your career, in any point, any level, is there an overtime memory? And I almost hate to ask this because I know for a lot of players, it sometimes goes to a game that got away. But there is an overtime memory, good or bad, that still sticks with you to this day? Oh, absolutely. I think perhaps my uh, the, the one that sticks with me and will stick with me forever, I was playing in Calgary's farm system. Uh, I played in the IHL, the International Hockey League, for a club called the Salt Lake City Golden Eagles. And it was my second year pro. We were playing the Milwaukee Admirals of all teams. That's now the feeder team to the Nashville Predators. Uh, so things have kind of come full circle in that respect. But I was uh, I was a member of the Salt Lake City Golden Eagles. We were playing a game, I believe it was five, against the Milwaukee Admirals before we advanced on to the league finals. It was the conference before we advanced on to the league finals. And... You know, I was having a game a little bit like Kevin Fiala was having a game a couple of nights ago. I was all around the net. Uh, the puck was just coming to me, and I was, you know, I had a lot of chances. And our backup bulletiner, Wayne Cowley, looked at me before the overtime started, and that was a, an elimination game. We had the chance to close out the Admirals. He's looking at me going, Stu, I, I think you got this one. And I said, Charles, I feel the very same way. Well, it wasn't but five or six minutes into the overtime. Uh, my defenseman, Jimmy Levins, caught a pass, found me in the open, and honestly, he put me in a spot. It was almost a tap-in for par, but we uh, we closed out the series against the Milwaukee Admirals. And, uh, you know, for a guy like me, uh, I'm about as ham and eggs as they come. It's, you know, fourth line, left wing my entire career at every level. And uh, that was a big moment. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that's a good one. Well, that's cool. You felt it coming. Well, and you mentioned your 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 role in the NHL and the teams you played on. And you know, for people who remember you, they can they can look you up on HockeyDB on on Wikipedia. Uh, you had more penalty minutes with points than points. That's how I'll summarize it. <laughs> Given the way the playoffs are called, 
and you know the the way the games flow. What, did you have to change anything you did in the playoffs? Was it harder for you to make an impact in the postseason, or how did that go for you? You you had to be very calculated in what you did. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a time of year where you know. Generally speaking, it's the, the games are called quite closely. Uh, the level of officiating has progressed to the point where only the best, the most successful officiating uh, officials, refs, are calling it by that stage of the year. So you you've really got to mind your discipline and make sure you don't take the minor penalty that costs your team uh, a game, a lead, uh, and potentially a series. You have to be pretty uh, pretty calculated in what you do. Having said that. You know, there's still, uh, certainly when I played and even today, there's still room for that very, you know, physical brand. And there's nothing like a hit, a good solid collision to get a game turned around. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's part of the fabric of playoff hockey. And it's, you know, one of the, the feature elements that makes our sport such a, you know, an exciting and, uh, and a very fierce one at the same time. Well, Stu, thanks for that insight. Thanks for telling us what's going on with the Predators. I hope we can uh, get another update during or after round two, man. It's always good to have you on the show. That'd be fantastic. Hey, good luck to you and uh, and that hockey team you covered. Your oil is off to uh, are are really in the throes of a great series. Absolutely. Thanks, Stu. Stu Grimson from Fox Sports Nashville. A little lowdown on the Predators sweep. Uh, pretty good overtime story Stu had there. About a night he felt he was going to win it. And what did he say there at the end? How a hit can help change a playoff game. Connor McDavid, big hit on Marcus Sorensen yesterday when the Oilers were down. I know Rob Brown thought it was interference. I was actually fine with it. And I'm often more prudish when it comes to uh, stuff like that in hockey. Uh, maybe I'm, I, I know when you, you're an Edmonton guy and you say, well, the, the Edmonton player should have got a penalty, you're going to be called a homer. I just thought, you know, Sorensen was admiring his pass. It, it was, you know, I mean, it was away from him. But, I mean, Rob was saying, well, it was one blue line to the next. It wasn't that far away. It was about the width of the center ice faceoff circle. And McDavid didn't really go out of his way to hit him. Like, he didn't veer out of his path or headhunt him or jump or headshot him or anything like that. And Sorensen was going on a straight line, too. So I think McDavid was almost like, well, we're going to hit each other anyway. I might as well make it a body check. I did not think that was interference. I was actually fine with that one. It's 7.50. Toronto and Washington in the final minute of the third period. Still 1-1. Inside Sports on Chet. For the fourth time in the series, the Maple Leafs and Capitals are going to overtime. Tied 1-1 this time. Game 5 series tied 2-2. Bruins and Senators are tied 2-2 with 10 minutes left. Ottawa's up 3-1 in that best of seven. I want to thank our guests tonight. You heard from Stu Grimson, Kelly Rudy, and Chris Joseph. Thanks to everybody who texted in as well. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. The studio producer this evening, Kellen Kennedy. I'm back with you tomorrow at 6 for the face-off show. Oilers and Sharks Game 6 will face off at 8.30. We'll have it for you all here on 6.30 Chet. This has been Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. We leave you with a little special something from Dean Vince in our production department. Here's a shot. Score! Maroon able to bang home a rebound, and it's 1-0 against the Tampa. A huge hit by Connor McDavid. And that'll win.
give it up. One timer score! This game is tied, and I don't believe it. Absolute blast from the point. The boys are back, and they're looking for trouble. And we're coming for you. Here comes Leon Dreisel. It's a two-on-one with McDavid. He centers. McDavid, what's everyone Shot Nugent Hopkins, Dave Jones, it's loose the blue paint, and somehow stays out! Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.